Happy 4th of July. You guys doing well? All right. Hey, open up your Bible to Ruth, chapter 2. We're going to continue in our, uh, our study of the book of Ruth. Um, now, as you're turning there, I want to tell you a little, a little bit about uh, how I grew up. See, I grew up in the 80s. Uh, I'm a total 80s child, all right? Um, and growing up in the 80s, uh, one of the things that we did as a family all the time was we would have uh, kind of once a week would be family TV night. We would all get together watch a couple shows together. We loved watching shows like uh, The Cosby Show. That was one of our favorites growing up, right? We, we watched, and my sister and I really liked this one, but our parents didn't really like it, but it was uh, America's Funniest Home Videos with Bob Saget, the original one, okay? We watched that every now and then. Um, my dad's favorite one, though, that he loved to watch was Home Improvement. You guys remember this show? Yeah, okay, it's the, right? Uh, all that stuff. Uh, Tim Allen was in this show. He was the star of the show. This, this show really catapulted his career and um, uh, made him hugely successful. He went on to voice Buzz Lightyear from Toy Story, right? You guys know who I'm talking about there? Awesome. And then uh, he has a new show now called Last Man Standing. So he's doing really, really well with all that. But you know what's interesting is I, I recently learned that he had kind of a checkered past, Tim Allen did. That, uh, and all of that really started back when he was just 11 years old. You see, Tim had a mother and a father, and he was one of six kids, right? He had a pretty big family. And one day, uh, his whole family decided to go to a college football game, but he was like, you know, I'm just going to stay home. So Tim stayed home, and his parents, his five siblings, they all packed up in the car and went to this football game. And on the way back home, a, a terrible car accident took the life of his father, all right? Uh, he was devastated. It changed his life forever. In fact, this event caused him, uh, as he recalls, it caused him to doubt that God is really good. It caused him to lead to really a search for significance, for satisfaction in life through things like drugs. Um, he ended up selling cocaine and eventually he ended up getting caught and ended up in prison um, for a short time. Back in 2012, he gave an interview to talk about what had happened in his life, and he said this, It changed everything forever. Part of me still doesn't trust that things are going to work out all right. I knew my father was gone, but I was never satisfied with why. I wanted answers that minute from God. Do you think this is funny? Do you think this is necessary? And I've had a tumultuous relationship with my Creator ever since. The painful circumstances in Tim Allen's life brought him to a place where he didn't really trust that God was good. And this doubt in God's goodness then opened up his life to temptation, looking for satisfaction in other things. Now I think in our story that Naomi really felt this way. You see, if you remember from chapter 1, Naomi really had been through a lot, experienced suffering, some of the most immense suffering that anyone could ever experience in this life. She, she had lost her husband. She had lost her two sons. She lost her financial security. She lost her social status. Everything in her life came crashing down. And she returned to the promised land really broken. She's bitter. And she's doubting God's goodness. And this is where we pick up the story in Ruth chapter 2. And so, if you're willing and able, I want to invite you to stand as we read the first seven verses. 
Now Naomi had a relative of her husband's, a worthy man of the clan of Elimelech, whose name was Boaz. And Ruth the Moabite said to Naomi, Let me go to the field and glean among the ears of grain after him, in whose sight I shall find favor. And she said to her, Go, my daughter. So she set out and went and gleaned in the field after the reapers. And she happened to come to the part of the field belonging to Boaz, who was of the clan of Elimelech. And behold, Boaz came from Bethlehem, and he said to the reapers, The Lord be with you. And they answered, The Lord bless you. Then Boaz said to his young man who was in charge of the reapers, Whose young woman is this? And the servant who was in charge of the reapers answered, She's the young Moabite woman who came back with Naomi from the country of Moab. She said, Please let me glean and gather among the sheaves after the reapers. So she came, and she has continued from the early morning until now, except for a short rest. Let's pray. Our Father, this morning, we pray that your Holy Spirit would illuminate your word to us and help us to understand it and apply it to our life, God. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Go and have a seat. So right from the first verse, we are introduced to this guy. His name is Boaz, all right? Boaz He's a little older. He's probably the same generation as Naomi, all right? He's a, he's a landowner. Uh, he's, he has workers. But there's two characteristics about Boaz that the author really wants us to know, all right? The first one is this, that, that he's from the clan of Elimelech, all right? In fact, the author mentions this twice in the passage. So this is really important to him. Uh, essentially, what this means is this. We have, first of all, Elimelech is... We know him already. He's Naomi's deceased husband. So what this means is that uh, Boaz is actually from the same family as Naomi. And this is signaling for us that he might be someone that, uh, <laughs> that, that might be able to help Naomi and Ruth in their desperate situation. The second thing that the author wants us to see is that in verse 1, if you see that, he says that he's a worthy man, a worthy man. He's a man of standing. He's an honorable man. In the Hebrew, it says he's the Gibor Ha'il. It's just fun to say, you know, Gibor Ha'il, right? Uh, uh, that word actually, Ha'il, is going to become important next week. We're going to see that again. But we can see the strength of his character in this. In fact, look at verse 4 really quickly. Because in verse 4, this is when he comes into the, into the story and when he does, what does he do? He, he, he shouts out to his workers, the Lord be with you. And we can see just from that that this man is a man of faith. He trusts the Lord, right? Not only that, he's, he's pronouncing this blessing on all of his workers. He, he really loves his workers. And it seems like the workers really love him back and respect him back, don't they? They're like, they're like the, Lord, the Lord bless you. It's like, wow, that's, that's pretty cool. Like these workers really love their master. That's awesome. Now, right now, this information is only known to us as the reader, okay? This is stuff that the narrator is telling us. Ruth doesn't know anything about Boaz at this point. Ruth goes to Naomi and asks permission to go and glean in the fields. And the assumption here is, is may, maybe Ruth has heard that um, a little bit about the Old Testament law, about the law of gleaning, all right? Now, what is this? This is this Old Testament law that allows, it's kind of a welfare system for the poor, that people who were, 
who owned land and, and had fields and grew crops, that they would have to leave, that they could harvest the, the stuff in the middle, but they would leave the edges. And the food at the edges would be left for the poor to come and to take for themselves, to just take care of themselves and provide for their families. Now, gleaning is risky business, though, because sometimes the poor who went to go glean would be robbed, would be, would be beaten, would be taken advantage of. And Ruth, knowing this, probably knowing this, she's trusting that God's people are going to let her do as the law says. She's kind of stepping out in faith a little bit here. So in verse 3, it's so funny. The author kind of overly states that this is very coincidental, which means I, I think he's being ironic. He's kind of like saying, it's like, so Ruth just happened to go to the fields of Boaz, and, and Boaz just happened to show up right at this time. And I think what he's saying is, is like, look, this is no coincidence at all. This is all part of God's plan. She shows up and, and Boaz sees her there gleaning in the fields. He doesn't ask his workers, hey, hey, who's, who's that young woman over there? He doesn't say that. Look at the question that he asks in verse 5. He says, whose young woman is that? He's basically saying, look, I know that she doesn't belong to me. I'm not the one that's taking care of her. So who's the man that's taking care of her? Who's the one that's taking care of her? And, and he learns that the answer is no one. That she has to take care of herself. And so he finds out that this is the Ruth that he's heard so much about. Remember, at the end of chapter one, the whole town was really in an uproar over the return of Naomi with Ruth. They were the hot gossip of the week, okay? And so certainly Boaz had heard about this. And so he hears this whole story about who she is again. And, 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 and he's like, wow, I, I got to go talk to her. So he does. Look at verse 8. Boaz said to Ruth, Now listen, my daughter. Do not go to glean in another field or leave this one, but keep close to my young women. Let your eyes be on the field that they are reaping and go after them. Have I not charged the young men not to touch you? And when you are thirsty, go to the vessels and drink what the young men have drawn. This is, this is pretty cool because Basically what he's saying is like, look, stay here in this field. Stay in my field right here. Don't go to another field. Don't even look at another field, right? He has, he, he, he realizes that he knows that because no one's taking care of her, he has great compassion on her. And so he's saying here you're going to have everything that you need in my field. You're going to have protection. I've, I've, I've ordered my guys to, to not touch you to make sure that you're going to be safe. He's, he's given her provision that she's going to be allowed to glean and she's going to even be allowed to take the water from the jugs over here that the men are pulling out of the well. Um, it's pretty awesome. Incredibly generous. And so she's humbled by this generosity. Look at verse 10. Look at what she says. Then she fell on her face, bowing to the ground and said to him, why have I found favor in your eyes that you should take notice of me since I'm a foreigner? But Boaz answered her, 
All that you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband has been fully told to me. And how you left your father and mother and your native land and came to a people that you did not know before. The Lord repay you for what you have done. And a full reward be given you by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. Wow, what a blessing. What a blessing. And then verse 13, she said, I, found, I have found favor in your eyes, my Lord, for you have comforted me and spoken kindly to your servant, though I am not one of your servants. See, what she's realizing here is, I mean, she knows that she's not supposed to be receiving this level of blessing. In fact, she's probably not even supposed to be gleaning from the land at all. She's not one of God's people. She's an outsider. She's from a people who are the enemies of God. And yet Boaz gives it to her anyway. Boaz is so generous, so gracious with her, so merciful, and he doesn't stop there. Look at verse 14. It keeps getting better. At mealtime, Boaz said to her, Come here and eat some bread and dip your morsel in the wine. And so she sat beside the reapers, and he passed to her roasted grain. And she ate until she was satisfied, and she had some left over. She ate until she was satisfied. She ate till she was full. When was the last time Ruth was full? Has it been weeks? Months? When was the last time that she had a meal where she was satisfied and there was food left over? I mean, she probably, she probably can't remember the last time that that happened. This is incredible blessing. And it doesn't stop there. Look at verse 15. When she rose to glean, Boaz instructed his young men, saying, Let her glean even among the sheaves and do not reproach her. He's basically saying, let her take whatever she wants. Just don't, don't bother her. Let her take whatever she wants. Verse 16. And also, pull out some of the bundles for her and leave it for her to glean and do not rebuke her. Okay, just picture this for a second. The harvesters are out there. They're working their tails off. They're harvesting the grain. They're bundling it all up, tying it together so they could put it in the storehouses. And Boaz is like, okay, this is what I want you to do. You got these bundles in your cart. You're dragging it along. I just want you to take some of those bundles and just bloop, <laughs> bloop, just set it out there. Don't worry about it. Let her take them. Like, He's making it so easy. It's like, it's like nothing. She can just go up and just pick up these bundles that's already harvested for her. It's amazing. So then look at 17, verse 17. So she gleaned in the field until evening, and then she beat out what she had gleaned, and it was about an ephah of barley. So what's an ephah? So you know, when you go to the grocery store, and they've got a 50-pound bag of dog food, that's about what we're talking about. We're talking about a, like a 50-pound bag of processed grain. That's a lot. That's a lot of blessing. This is an overabundant blessing. Blessing upon blessing. So Ruth now is like, all right, I, I, gotta, I gotta get this back home. <laughs> okay, so look at what it says, which I just think this is awesome because she's like superwoman. And she took it up that Ruth picked it up. The word there is literally carried. 
she carried this 50-pound bag of grain and went into the city. Her mother-in-law saw what she had gleaned. She also brought out and gave her what food she had left over after being satisfied from the meal that she had with Boaz, right? She brought all this out. And her mother-in-law said to her, where did you glean today? (laughs) Right? And where have you worked? Blessed be the man who took notice of you. So she told her mother-in-law with whom she had worked and said, the man's name with whom I work today is Boaz. Now catch this. Naomi said to her daughter-in-law, may he be blessed by the Lord whose kindness has not forsaken the living or the dead. Naomi is beginning to see that even with everything that she's been through, all of the all of the suffering, all of the doubt that God's kindness has not left her. God's not God's not out to get her. God's not trying to punish her. God's with her. And he's working all things out for his glory and for her good. And, and, and right here, Naomi is beginning to see this. Look at the great reversal that took place where, where Naomi, remember at the end of chapter one, Naomi left Bethlehem full, but the Lord brought her back empty. But in chapter two, Ruth goes out empty and she comes back full. And this shows Naomi that God is still with her. Naomi also begins to reveal to Ruth who Boaz really is, that Boaz is a redeemer, okay? Now, a, a redeemer in this culture is, again, this is Old Testament law stuff. Uh, the redeemer is someone who, in every family, in every clan, could help family members when they got in trouble when they when they fell on hard times if they had to sell themselves into slavery they could buy them back if they had to sell off a piece of land they can buy that land back to restore them back to where they're supposed to be and so Boaz is one of those men and he could help them right so let's continue here in verse 20 the middle of verse 20 there it says Naomi also said to her the man is a close relative of ours one of our redeemers And Ruth the Moabite said, besides, he said to me, you shall keep close by my young men until they have finished all my harvest. And Naomi said to Ruth, her daughter-in-law, it is good, my daughter, that you go out with his young women, lest in another field you be assaulted. So she kept close to the young women of Boaz, gleaning until the end of the barley and wheat harvests, and she lived with her mother-in-law. Okay, if we're going to summarize chapter 2, it kind of comes down to this one idea that Boaz promises Ruth provision and protection. That, that when, when she is in the field of her redeemer, Ruth has abundant blessing. She instructs Ruth not to go anywhere else, right? To keep her eyes on this field. Don't even look anywhere else. And so the, I, really the question I ask myself when I read that, I'm just like, why? Why would she want to? <laughs> like, why would she want to go anywhere else but here in the fields of Boaz? And I think that it's here in this immense generosity that we see from Boaz that we see just a beautiful, vivid portrait of Christ. 
Especially, especially there in that meal that they have together in verse 14. See, Boaz sits down with Ruth, has this meal. The, the meal is bread and wine, first of all, which that's really interesting. <laughs> um, but, but on top of that, the meal is overabundant. There's, there's food left over. And it, and it kind of reminds me of when Jesus fed the 5,000. You guys remember this story? Jesus is preaching and there's 5,000 plus people that, are, that came to hear him preach and they all get hungry. And so Jesus says to his disciples, hey, go find them some food. And they're like, uh, okay. And so they, they, they go out there among the people. They find five loaves of bread, five little barley bread loaves and two fish. So Jesus blesses this humble meal. They start to pass it among all the 5,000 people. And here's the amazing thing is that every single person eats and is satisfied. And afterwards, there's 12 baskets full of leftovers, right? So cool. This is the, this is the rich, abundant provision that God offers to all of his people. We see it kind of in a small way here with Ruth and Boaz. It's pictured here in what they're doing. It starts to get a little bit bigger, a little bit more when we, when we see this in Jesus feeding the 5,000. And all of this is pointing to this reality that as God's people, as Christians, that we have everything that we need in him. Everything that we need can be found in him. And in fact, right here and right now, we can be satisfied in him. But even what we have here and now is just a foretaste of what's to come in the new heavens and new earth. Where God promises this abundant blessing. Where he says, I'm going to go and prepare a table for you. Right? And we're going to eat the richest of foods together. I mean, man, when you read the Bible, I, I come away with it thinking like, man, God loves to eat. Like, <laughs> we're going to have a good time together, having good food together. So what exactly is this provision that God is promising us? What exactly is that right here and right now? Is this provision like financial blessing? Are we talking about success in every endeavor? Are we talking about just happiness in life? The answer to that is no. I don't think God ever promises us those things in this life. He, he provides for us. He takes care of us. But he doesn't promise an overabundance of those things. See, the real provision, and don't miss this this morning, the real provision that God is offering to us is himself. It's himself. It's a relationship with him where there's peace and joy, where, where all of our needs are met, where every desire that we have is satisfied with good things, as Psalm 103 says. It means a couple things for us. It means, number one, we can rely on him for our protection. That We can put it this way. When we're in the fields of our Redeemer, we are safe, Right? We're safe from every enemy that matters. Nothing can defeat us because nothing can separate us from the love of God. So they may, they may wound and kill the body, but nothing can actually defeat us. 
because we're safe in him. We're safe in him. It also means that we can trust in him for our provision every single day, that we're actually dependent on him. We can look at it this way again, that when we're in the fields of our redeemer, we have abundant provision. It reminds me of how Jesus talks about this. He says, he says, he reminds us that man does not live by bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. And so the provision that he wants to give us is himself. It's, it, it's just, it's, it's who he is. And so what does he do? He gives us his spirit, right? But he also gives us his word. He gives us his word. So that through his word, we might know him. Through his word, we might feast on him, okay? That we might, that we might be nourished by him. And that in his word, that we're going to, that we're going to be able to just rest in him. And that's really the last thing, that it means that you can rest in him for both of these things, for provision and protection. Resting in him. Just like how Ruth just had to go up and pick up those bundles. Remember that, right? She just had to just pick those things up and just go on with her day. Like, that's kind of how the Christian life is. It's, it's easy. Jesus says, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. So resting in Christ, it doesn't mean that, that our whole life is about just striving to prove to God that we're worthy, okay? The Christian life is about enjoying God because he's declared us worthy. Does that make sense? It's very different. And so from this, you can begin to see a little more why Jesus' death on the cross is so important. Our sin, you know, it, it's, it's rebellion against God. It puts this distance between us and God. It puts us at odds with him. And we deserve his wrath, not his blessing. We deserve that. And because God is just, and he needs to be just, guys. It, he needs to be. Because he is just, he can't overlook our sin. And so if God wants to bless us with the gift of himself, that means that he has, he has to have this paid for. And so Jesus going to the cross pays the, the price for us. He takes the wrath of God that we deserve so that God can bless us with himself. Does that make sense? Jesus' sacrifice is so important. And so in just the few minutes we have left, I, I want to just show you just a couple ways that this really does apply in our life. How does this work out itself in our life? Because sometimes we're going through times where, where we are struggling with, with doubts about God's goodness, and we're wrestling with the circumstances of life that are challenging to us. But sometimes we're not. Sometimes life is good. Um, for some of you today, you might be sitting there thinking, man, you know, my, my life's been pretty great. I'm not really struggling with very much right now. I'm not really doubting in God's goodness. And that's awesome. And so this is what I would say. If that's you today, three quick things. Number one, praise God. <laughs> praise, okay? Praise God that the circumstances of your life right now are good because every good and perfect gift comes from Him, right? So thank Him. Live in gratitude every day. I'd say second, prepare. So praise and then prepare, all right? Prepare yourself for the 
coming times of pain and, and struggle and doubt. We can expect this in our life. Jesus promises this to us in John chapter 15. So while you're experiencing the time of blessing and peace, make sure that you're also resting in his provision and his protection. Make sure you're, you're going back to God's word and just, just being nourished by him. Okay, let him nourish you. Let him remind you of who he is every single day so that when the time of struggle and suffering and doubt come, when all of that comes, that you would have no desire to look anywhere else but to the fields of your Redeemer, right? So praise God, prepare yourself. Lastly, proclaim. Proclaim the goodness of God to others who are doubting God's goodness right now. You know, you might know someone right now who's going through a really tough time. You might know someone who's struggling um, with the circumstances of their life. You might know someone who's really doubting in the goodness of God. And that may be leading them to some temptations to go after satisfaction and other things. You, you might be thinking too right now, I'm not sure if I know anybody, but I'll bet you that you do. It's just that we're really good at hiding this. We're all really good at hiding this hiding our doubts and our temptations and our worries and our fears. Our, our family's actually wrestling with this a lot right now. Um, so exactly a month ago, we, we, we learned that my uncle died. He's a pretty young guy. He was, I mean, he, was, he, ju- he had just turned 60, um, relatively healthy, all that stuff. I mean, really active, really fun guy. Um, just gone. And what we learned was that for a long time, he had been struggling with alcohol. And we thought that it was better, but he had been hiding it from us. It didn't tell us what was going on in his life, and this is what eventually took his life. Now, our family has been wrestling with the question, you know, what if we knew? Could we have said something? Could we have done something that would have made a difference? And those are, I mean, at the end of the day, those are fruitless questions, right? But But for you, you might know someone who's going through something like that right now. Someone who needs to know about the goodness of God. So I want to ask you today, what can you do? How can you show them that God is good? That in the field of their Redeemer, that there's abundant blessing. And And they shouldn't want to look anywhere else but to Him. Now some of you while some of you are, are, are experiencing joy and, and peace in life right now, some of us aren't. You might be sitting there right now one day, you, you might be watching at home right now, and you're coming to realize that you've been doubting the goodness of God because of these circumstances in your life. And maybe this has led you to some temptations to try to find satisfaction in other things. And so if this is you, I just want to give you just one thing, one thing to think about today. I think that God, first of all, wants you to know that what you're going through is is hard. He knows that. He knows that what you're going through is hard, but God wants you to know that he is truly good. He's truly good. And he promises you abundant blessing. He wants you to come back to his field. In fact, the Apostle Paul puts it this way. He says that he's going to give you 
all things. He promises you all things. Romans 8.32 says this, that he who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? In other words, he's saying this. It's like, God the Father, he sent his son, gave his son, let his son die on a cross for you. This is his most precious son. Why would he not give you everything else? Why would he not give you everything else? And this is a promise to us. And so God right now is urging you, if you're struggling right now, he's saying, come to my field. and Stay here with me. Don't look anywhere else. God's not holding out on you. He's not punishing you. He has immense compassion on you and he offers you abundant blessing. And so it's time just to come to the field of your Redeemer because he is so merciful and compassionate. It's there that you will find a greater love in Jesus that overshadows every other love that we have in this world. So why would we want to turn anywhere else? Let's pray together. Our Lord, I just praise you today. I praise you that you have given us everything. You, you've, you've made it so easy. You've done all of the work for us. And all we have to do is just, just trust, just rest in you. Just just be satisfied in the things that you've, that you've given us and these wonderful, abundant blessings that you've given us and just, just be nourished by that. Just be satisfied in that. And in that life, Lord, there is such joy, there is peace, there is, there is such beauty. So Lord, we pray for that. We ask for that. And God, I want to ask, Lord, that especially for those who are struggling right now, who have been doubting your goodness, oh Lord, that you would bless them. Lord, give them, give them trust in you today that they would just come back to your, to your field, that they would stop looking to other places and just come back to you and rest in you today. Because, Lord, you're better than everything else that this world has to offer. You are better than, than everything that we could run to. So let's run to you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.